You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm happy to be with you today. Every Saturday, we bring you highlights of our local radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. The week began with our Catholic Schools Today program. Host Father Greg Sackwitz had the pleasure of talking with St. Hubert students whose inventions were winners at the recent Chicago Student Invention Convention. Here's a highlight of that conversation. We're thrilled to welcome, I believe, via telephone, uh, Kelly O'Hara, who is a junior high science and math teacher from St. Hubert, along with three of uh, Kelly O'Hara's students, Emma, Katie, and Samantha. Emma is the first grade winner of the sixth grade uh, Chicago Student Invention Convention. Katie won second place for the sixth graders, and then Samantha was a seventh grade patent award winner. Uh, Kelly, Emma, Katie, Samantha, are you with us this morning? Yes. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Congratulations Good morning. to all of you. Good morning. Now, you're over there in the uh, St. Hubert's area in Hoffman Estates. Now, way, 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 way before any of you were born, back in 1979, <laughs> when I was a baby priest, I was 26 years old, I was assigned to Church of the Holy Spirit in mm-hmm. Schomburg, right next door to you, right there on uh, Bodie Road. And it, uh, That's great. You know the area, then. Oh, I know the area. In fact, how's this? You know, Emma and Katie and Samantha, Father Greg knows the area so well. I was there so long ago. This is the truth. There were farms with cows when I was there. <laughs> and I'm not, oh, wow. Yeah, and you probably think I'm about <laughs> wow. 175 years old. And, it, uh, and it, with what with uh, covered wagons and all that, I don't go back that far. But the area has really changed since I was there. So, uh, well, first of all, congratulations to Emma and Katie and Samantha. That's marvelous, which is creativity like that. Thank and, you. And maybe, uh, you know, and you are Kelly O'Hara, the junior high science and math teacher. Tell us how this all came about for the students. Well, we decided to uh, have an invention convention instead of a science fair the past two years. Uh, science fairs, you can sort of look up mm-hmm. science projects on the Internet now. So to um, kind of reward or focus on creative thinking and um, identifying real problems, we decided to go with the Invention Convention. And so they provide us some curriculum and some resources. And then in science class, I guide the kids through how do you identify a real-world problem and come up with an original solution. Interesting. Now, with that idea in mind, we have Emma, Katie, and Samantha, the three recipients. I want you to each take a turn now. And Emma, tell us, what was your invention? So I designed a base with wheels that act as a ramp to, so that it's easier to get over the edge of the rink. And then the mm. wheelchair locks in place so that the person could be pushed around. And then I also designed a hockey stick holder so that if the person has limited arm mobility, then they can easily maneuver the hockey stick. Now that is fascinating. But let me ask a personal question. Are you yourself, do you like ice skating? Yes, I, I mean, I do like ice skating, but um, I actually got my idea from my mom's friend because her daughter is in a wheelchair, oh, and okay. she really likes playing hockey. Now, what about for you, Katie? 
Um, I made um, heat no more. It is a silicone-covered light bulb that can reduce the heat that projects off of it, and that just helps save saving um, furniture and other materials. Now, when you say saving, uh, saving in what area? Um, or saving how? Like, so from heating up and starting a fire in your home oh, wow. just from a light bulb. Uh, that's that's marvelous. And how about you, Samantha? We had the seventh grade patent award winner. Mm-hmm. I w- I made the fetch it. It is a ball thrower that has a ball attached to a string that will reel it back in, so you don't lose the ball, or so you can get the ball back from the dog. You know, my that's pretty cool. My my big fear is that if Doctor Jim Rigg and I were classmates of yours. His invention would probably make make me disappear. <laughs> Take it away, Jim. And not reappear, right? <laughs> and, not, and not reappear. Take it away, Jim. <laughs> Happy to. So um, I know that it took a lot of work to put together these wonderful projects and inventions. Uh, Kelly O'Hara, talk to us a little bit about kind of what you were hoping to see out of your students as they put together their inventions for the invention convention. Sure. I really want to see, I want to kind of give them a challenge that they think they can't do. So when I first introduced the fact that you're each going to come up with an invention, the looks on the faces, some are excited and some are scared to death of how in the world am I going to come up with an invention, but every single student manages to do it. So my goal is to give them confidence in science and in STEM fields so that they'll keep going with science when they get to high school. And so they each came up with their own invention idea, correct, based upon, as right. Emma said, their Every own uh, experiences in six, and what they see as a need in the world. And was most of this done um, virtually, given the, you know, everything that happened in the late spring? No, fortunately, we worked on this from January through March. And we actually had our school um, invention convention in March, right before uh, we had to move to e-learning. Um, and then the students that were selected to move on to the Chicago level were able to do their um, their presentation at that point, their video presentation. They were able to do that at home with technology. Well, Kelly, let me ask you this question. That is, when you had an invention convention instead of a regular science fair, that you could have had a regular science fair like in past years by having mm-hmm. this invention convention, just a nice play on words there, then you're part now of a larger group that can go local and then national, correct? Right, correct. Okay. That, so, uh, go ahead. No, I think it's, I think it's and, fascinating. Go ahead, Jim. And we have three students. The, are these the same three students, uh, Kelly, um, Emma, Katie, and Samantha, that are going to move on to the national competition? Is that right? Correct. They, based on the awards they won at the Chicago competition, they were um, selected to move on to the national competition, and those winners will be selected in the end of June sometime, so there will be a national announcement. A question maybe for you, Samantha. As you put together your invention, uh, what was the greatest challenge? What really uh, did you struggle with as you were putting it together? Trying to put it together so it would work properly because we had to take a couple tries before it would actually, like, work properly, like, reel back and, like, throw properly. So did you have a lot of failures before you finally had a success, like usually a lot of inventions have? 
Yeah, I probably had a failure or two. Did you get frustrated? No, not really. That's good. That's very good. How about for you, Katie? What was the greatest challenge in doing your invention or the failures you're having? One of the challenges that I was having during, like, my invention process was that it was hard to find a place to dry because I use silicone and we used cardboard rings. And so part of the cardboard got stuck onto the silicone, which made it look a little dirty. Mm, Interesting. And how about the biggest challenge for you, Emma? I think the biggest challenge was trying to figure out how to lock in the wheelchair and the ramps because when I first tried to move the base around, the ramps kept falling down, so I had to figure out a way to lock in the wheelchair but also lock in the ramps. That's when I think they're very articulate. Now, since we are going in this direction here, is St. Hubert's is a wonderful school mm-hmm. out in the Hoffman Estates, Schomburg area, that whole region. And now... We have two sixth graders and a seventh grader, which means now as we move into summer vacation, for Emma and Katie, are you now going into seventh grade? Yes. And of yes. course, then Samantha's going into eighth grade. Is you know just for a moment because I, I've known the area so well for so many years, and St. Hubert's, both school and parish, have a wonderful reputation. Is let me ask you this: anyone can start either Emma, Katie, or Samantha. What do you like best about St. Hubert's School? How about Emma, you begin. Okay. Um, I think that, like, the teachers are just so committed to helping us and helping us, like, uh, achieve our goals. And I really like how they, they're just, like, so, I, I don't even have words for mm-hmm. it. They're so nice and kind and well, that's wonderful. That's I love a, it. It's a great compliment about the teachers, the faculty of the uh, St. Hubert School. How about for you, Katie? I love all of the teachers and all of the people in the school because everybody treats people equally and is so devoted to helping people. That is wonderful. That's a great response. How about for you, Samantha? I like the people because it's great to have nice people around. So it's a better learning experience. Mm-hmm. Have all of you been in school there since about kindergarten or first grade? Yes. Okay. Yes. Going way back from the, and the, the very, very start of it. I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Rigg. Oh, it's great to hear about that. I, um, very complimentary. I had a chance to visit uh, St. Hubert uh, several times. Last time I was there was for a grandparents' day. So I got a chance to see uh, presentations to grandparents and just witness the just the strength of the St. Hubert community uh, firsthand. Uh, Kelly O'Hara, you are the junior high science and math teacher. How long have you been at St. Hubert? Uh, I've been there seven years. Seven years, and what is, what is your favorite thing about St. Hubert School? Uh, I The faculty really pulls together and works together, and we support each other, so there's none of the competition or negativity in some of the schools, so it's a very positive place to work. But I'm sure that for you, um, Kelly's long for the students, our world changed back in mid-March with uh-huh. stay-at-home, with e-learning. And uh, so what's been the biggest challenge for you the last three months? Because now has school officially ended or does it end this week? Yes, school has ended. <laughs> so then, yeah, and uh, 
And so the last three months, when all of a sudden the children are at home, and of course you mm-hmm. miss seeing them and they miss seeing each other. So what did you, what did your world look like as you're now trying to teach with e-learning? Um, fortunately, we have a one-to-one iPad program, so mm-hmm. everyone had their iPads at home and we could access materials that we posted or they could access their textbooks. Many of the textbooks are online. Um, the biggest challenge was just trying to reach everybody at a personal level because you're seeing each other either on a screen. We did a lot of Zoom sessions or through email, and so it, you kind of lose the personal touch to see the look on the students' faces if they're understanding or not understanding what's going on. Yeah, so that interaction. And now, mm-hmm. I love along those lines for Samantha and Katie and Emma, that you know, your world changed too, not only for the faculty and administration of St. Hubert's, but for all the children. So, Samantha, what's been the hardest part about the last three months about learning from home? Probably trying to figure out how to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's very honest. How about you, Katie? Um, it was probably not being with friends, because sometimes friends help you with homework or other yeah. options just to get your spirits up. And so that was part of the reason it was really hard to do e-learning. Yeah, how about for you, Emma? Yeah, I think the hardest part was, like, not seeing our friends and not being with our teachers and also just not being able to ask as many questions, I guess. And you have to, like, learn the schedule and be there on time on your Zooms and have everything in. Yeah. In fact, you, I'm not sure if you heard, but the beginning of the program, Dr. Jim Rigg made a wonderful announcement that the goal is come August, September, whenever your school opens, you'll be back mm-hmm. in school. You'll be back in school, which is wonderful. And it, yeah. uh, and so maybe in the last minute or so we have here, uh, Kelly, is can you give us some information about St. Hubert School, how people can get learn more about it, like with a phone number or a website? Sure. Um, uh, St. Hubert School is in Hoffman Estates. Our phone number is 847-885-7702. That number once again? And, uh, 847-885-7702. Mm-hmm. And the website is sthubertschool.org, which is sthubertschool.org. Wonderful, and it. Uh, but again, our congratulations to Emma, Katie, and Samantha, uh, three winners of the Student Invention Convention, and our prayers are with you as you move on to the next level, which I think we heard is later this month in June. Correct. Yes. Yeah. We wish all the best to the students as they move on to the national competition. Next up, we hear from the Voice of Charity. This week's program featured the Lake County Services arm of Catholic Charities and the 2020 Art of Caring event. Let's take a listen. Today, we want to talk about the Catholic Charities community and services in Lake County, where last year we served over 61,000 people from all races, religions, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Catholic Charities of Lake County has some truly remarkable staff and volunteers who continuously demonstrate steadfast commitment to our programs and services. Among these are members of the Lake County Women's Board. This is a group of dynamic, can-do women that really work well together and come up with fantastic ideas in support of Catholic Charities and our clients. 
Joining us by phone today to discuss Lake County services and recent initiatives of the Lake County Women's Board are Ashley Stikes and Christine Farrell. Welcome, Ashley and Christine. Thank you. Thank you. Ashley, we're going to start with you. You are the program director of community casework um, in Lake County. And also, so that our listeners know, we just, um, it was just recently announced the Employee Recognition Award winners of the last <laughs> quarter. And Ashley was one of the Woo! three of the 3,000 employees. Ashley was chosen um, because of her tremendous work um, uh, being a resource to the community and her leadership. So, congratulations. Ashley. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm happy to be here with you guys today. We're so glad you are here. And Ashley, we're going to um, talk a little bit this morning about the services that's provided in Lake County and also the work of the Women's Board. But can you share with us maybe what are some of the common concerns people have had in recent weeks when coming to Catholic Charities in Lake County? Sure. Um, I would say the biggest, you know, need we're really seeing is a rising need for rent and utility assistance, um, especially, you know, due to the increase in the unemployment rate. Um, So our emergency assistance program um, has been working with multiple different funders throughout the county the past few months to kind of determine how to address this need. Um, We haven't necessarily initially seen an increase in the call volume um, for these calls, but we kind of anticipate that increasing soon with restrictions on utility shutoff and eviction being lifted. Mm. Um, And so, but thankfully we have, um, the emergency assistance program has been um, very blessed during this time and has received multiple COVID-19 relief grants to help assist with that need in our community. And we anticipate, you know, as time goes on, we anticipate hopefully, you know, more and more of that as, um, you know, more uh, community members continue to try to address that rising need. Great. And Ashley, I I don't know if it's the same in Lake County. We know food has been an issue for people, both in terms of not having it, but also, um, not having to spend money on it, as you say, if, if mm-hmm. money's tight and you need to pay your rent and utilities and, and need some help with food, um, what is Lake County able to do um, for folks on that front? And particularly, I think you have a special initiative with seniors. Yes. Yeah, so we, um, both of our food pantries, our emergency food pantry and our HIV program-specific food pantry has been open um, during this time on some modified schedules just for the safety of our clients and our staff. Um, you know, our, our emergency food pantry has definitely, at, at the beginning, we saw about two to three times as many clients as we normally do in a day. But what we're noticing the past couple of weeks is that it seems to be kind of um, the number that we're serving seems to be a little bit more stable. Um, we don't mm-hmm. know if that just is because less people are coming out right now because they're, you know, keeping themselves safe at home. Um, but it's possible that we might see another increase um, in the in the coming weeks, um, you know, especially as we move forward and, you know, we move from phase three in our, you know, recovery for the state to, you know, to stage four. Um, you know, and more people feel comfortable leaving, you know, their homes. I'm going to sort of pivot a little bit and ask you um, about the HIV AIDS program in Lake County. We assume that things have been especially difficult as you try to assist people in this program. And as they're among, you know, the most vulnerable in catching COVID-19, how have these uh, services and programs changed since the pandemic began? Sure. 
years. So our staff for that program, they've all been working remotely since the stay-at-home mm-hmm. order. Um, but I've been very impressed with how well they've navigated this change. Um, you know, they haven't missed a beat. They've actually had more contact with our program participants, um, you know, since March, just to really um, be a support for them, right? Have um, open conversations with them about how they're doing, talk to them about their concerns and what they're doing to keep themselves safe. And, you know, what we learned is that most of our program participants, more than most, um, are taking this, you know, very seriously, and they do understand that they are more, more, more vulnerable to that. So, and um, thankfully, we also have quite a few services through that program that we've been able to keep open for those clients to help keep them safe. So, we have, like I mentioned before, our, our HIV program-specific food pantry that has been open so that they can still come um, once a week if they want. And we have transportation via taxi services that we've been providing, and we can also mail out gift cards to them for transportation as well and for food to kind of help ensure that they don't have to go out more than they need to. You know, one of the things I think that is so um, inspiring that we've been able to witness kind of from where we sit is the creativity of our social workers, right? The creativity of everyone on the ground saying, okay, this is how we're going to pivot. This is how we're going to start trying to do things differently. And I, I love that that creativity, in, particularly as you're working with the most vulnerable. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And certainly part of that is who can who can we get to help us? Yes. So uh, can you tell us a little bit? You mentioned um, the Northern Illinois Food Bank. And then also, have you reached out to parishes or have parishes reached out to you? So we've been, like you mentioned, the, the food bank has been one of our biggest supporters right now. You know, kind of like our emergency assistance program is receiving a lot of COVID relief funds. The food bank is really receiving a lot of COVID relief funds. Uh, and then they're able to assist us with the grants that they're receiving. So even though our need in the food pantry has increased, our expenses have not gra- gracefully, like have not um, increased because of the grants that the food bank has been receiving. We've also received, um, we have great, re- great relationships with board members and other private donors that, you know, contribute to our food pantry throughout the year who have also assisted us during this time as well. So we've been very, very beneficial that way. Ashley, you really are hitting on that generosity of people. Um, and I think, you know, the, the Lake County Women's Board is such an example of generosity and has been for a very long time with Catholic Charities. Um, they've also been an example of creativity in this um, time of COVID. So, Christine, if, if you maybe can share with us a little bit about how long you've been a b- member of the Women's Board um, and sort of what that means to you. Hi, I've been a member of the Women's Board for eight years, um, and it's just been such a wonderful experience. And to the Women's Board originally, um, one of my friends invited me along for the Art of Caring, which relates to kind of what we're talking about today as well. And coming to that event and seeing really the generosity of all of the Women's Board and seeing the guests who come and their generosity and all the passion for Catholic Charities there, I'm um, learning about the program, and that's how I was introduced and decided I would love to be a part of this group, and it's just been an amazing experience to be a part of, um, you know, not only the Women's Board, but of course all the people of Catholic Charities and learning about the wonderful programs and all the 
Absolutely. And and for our listeners to, to know that the Lake County Women's Board plans a fabulous fundraising event each year, um, which is called the Art of Caring. And it's the largest annual fundraiser for Catholic charities in Lake County. Um, and it is an event that lots of folks come to. Uh, we're in person and together. And, you know, obviously that is not something that is going to be possible um, this year. And so the Women's Board um, has really been very creative in in the ways that we can engage um, and and do things differently this year, which is is very, very exciting. So can you share in the last minute and a half before we go to our next break, Christine, what the new format that you all have chosen for this year's event? Okay, yes. Yeah. So like all other live events, our Art of Hearing, um, which was scheduled in April, was had to be canceled due to the pandemic. So the Women's Board has shifted the mission um, to raise funds for Lake County services through an angel donation online campaign. So we've gone to um, gone out to all of our um, women's board members and all of our supporters, and it's a 100% tax-deductible donation, which will immediately serve the program in Lake County. And a reminder that you can find out more about all the wonderful ministries and services of Catholic Charities and how you can help by going to catholiccharities.net. Stick around. We'll hear about a program called Nonviolence Works after a short break. Throughout our nation and our world, people of all faiths have recently been joining fervently in all kinds of prayer. They have found that coming together in prayer is a source of comfort and strength. In this spirit of unity, the Archdiocese of Chicago has introduced A Call to Prayer, a telephone line dedicated to prayer. If you would like to join with another person in prayer, call 312-741-3388. This line is staffed from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily with parishioners from across the Archdiocese of Chicago. These volunteers are here to listen to you, offer support, and pray with you. A call to prayer includes a 24-hour voicemail and email options as well. Experience this wonderful opportunity to join with people just like you who trust in the power of prayer. That phone number again is 312-741-3388. Let's pray together today. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the Archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about the outreach efforts underway by the Catholic Church to help people in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll show you how online masses have become a common way of worship, and we'll give you a sampling of how teachers and students in Catholic schools are being creative and productive during the health crisis. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. There's nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad, or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, call 312-948-6951 anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, 
during and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Recent events have focused our attention on the subject of violence in American society. Catholic Chicago hosts Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi spoke with representatives of Nonviolence Works. Here is a highlight. We have with us on the phone right now Alfredi Weedham, Vice President of Nonviolence Works, and Larry Campbell, Treasurer of Nonviolence Works. And um, we're still waiting for Philip Bradley. So, Alfredi and Larry, welcome to the program this morning. How are the both of you doing? Very well. Thank you, Father Greg. And many thanks to you for inviting us back to talk about this uh, urgent problem issue. Exactly. Now, it's really Dr. Alfredi Weedham from um, Loyola University. Yes, that's correct. Thank you. I, am, I teach in the sociology department. Mm-hmm. And, you've, and been there very... for, you've been there for many years, correct? Well, about 13 years. Oh, okay, I thought you were about 20, 25 for some reason, because I know, I know you're only 39 years old. <laughs> yeah, well, right, Father Greg, so how could you think that? <laughs> Larry, are you there with us? Yes, I am, Father Greg. And this is, uh, I think, as you as I mentioned, Alfredi, this is a very urgent topic. Maybe just for a moment, either, Alfredi or Larry, uh, a short background of non-violence works. Well, I can begin by describing briefly that several years ago, uh, we, that is, Philip Bradley and I, who are neighbors in South Shore, started talking more about how to solve social problems. Um, Philip has been a nonviolence trainer, a community organizer for many years in Chicago, was particularly successful in training youth in the Chicago public school system with what was called the SMART program on how to bring youth back into being able to attend high school. And uh, he start, and I started to do some short trainings in the different parts of the Archdiocese. We were at uh, Holy Family that first summer when Larry attended. Mm-hmm. And Larry, you can take it up from there. Sure. Uh, thank you, Alfredi. I was so impressed by what Phil and Alfredi were doing, and nonviolence has been a subject that I've been very involved with and interested since college, uh, that I went up to him during a break and I said, hey, I'd like to get involved. And from that, Nonviolence Works was formed. And since that point, we've tried to do what we can in terms of the Chicago land area. Uh, In terms of schools, 
churches, organizations, to try to teach them the techniques to nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Now, how how has the George Floyd death and that movement and momentum? How has that changed your lives in terms of in terms of the work that you're doing? It made everything more urgent. What was urgent before is now exceedingly urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our focus is on the principles and practices of nonviolence, as was practiced by Dr. Martin Luther King. And the need for people to unlearn violence in order to learn how to become a violent person and develop violent, uh, non-violent, I misspoke, uh, non-violent families, non-violent schools, non-violent medical institutions, non-violent police practices, non-violent businesses, all those things have to be taken up now because there is no more uh, ignoring that. Now, Alfredi, it's interesting, but like you've mentioned the word urgent three or four times, which I so totally agree with you. And then we talk about you need to practice nonviolence. So maybe either Alfredi or Larry, say more about that in terms of how nonviolence or violence is taught. You know, Father Greg, one of the things that was so sad to me during the situation of unrest uh, when some folks decided that violence was the only way that they could make changes, and they justified that they had to do it. And I've had conversations with some of my friends um, who absolutely think that was the only thing to do. And, of course, that saddens me quite a bit because we have certainly worked, nonviolence works for a number of years, to try to tell people that actually nonviolent protests do make changes, Violent protests do not make mm-hmm. changes. And uh, I think, this, as Esso Freddy mentioned, it is actually so urgent right now. There's so, so much chaos going on in the country that we need to get back to the ground floor, which is to teach people. You know, it's very simple, Father Greg, to say, oh, I'm nonviolent. But they really know nothing about what nonviolence is. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people have read about Dr. King. Maybe some people have read about Gandhi. And certainly anybody who reads the Bible sees the nonviolent Jesus. But I don't, I don't think they really know enough to understand how significant nonviolence can be. And also, it, it's something that, you know, people think, oh, you know, you're, you're being cowardly by being nonviolent. I think you're actually stronger and more courageous totally agree. to be nonviolent. Now, the Cardinal has come out and said that when the schools open, there'll be a curriculum. Uh, dealing with the George Floyd incident, racism, etc. Um, how would you imagine or how would you envision um, that curriculum? It sounds like your organization could be very helpful to the Archdiocese in terms of looking at that issue. Yes, uh, it certainly is something that we have thought about, and we have had some conversations with the uh, superintendent Good. of Catholic Dr. Education. Jim Reagan? Yes. Uh, Jim Rigg, uh, mm-hmm. Melissa Link, we sure. also spoke with her recently. And so we, we w- would uh, want to be consultants to them, uh, since we have already a curriculum geared for both elementary and high school. We are hoping to be able to apply some of the principles and insights that we obtained from that experience. Uh, Father Craig, I'm sorry to interrupt. 
I have Phil with me right here. I'm here. How are you, Philip you know, Bradley, president of Nonviolence Works? At uh, well, thank you for joining us, Philip, and uh, we can make a great trio, Philip and Alfredi and Larry. Is maybe then maybe all three for a moment is. Um, we, we keep talking about violence, we keep talking about nonviolence, we keep talking about how it's uh, taught and uh, values are caught, not taught. And uh, where are we still missing the mark? Because you know, I have some people saying to me, you know, what's the problem? And others are saying we have a tremendous problem. So maybe you can speak the whole thing about where are we still missing the mark? Uh, very good question to start with. Uh, I would say this, that... Uh, have you ever heard that the premise, uh, if your premise is wrong, your conclusion is wrong? Uh, and so what, what the problem that we're experiencing with the uh, whole issue of race, race is actually a byproduct of another problem that we don't want to address, which is sexism. See, if, if a man does not see his own wife, sister, or mother as an equal, no other man, could, no other person would commit equal to him. Mm-hmm. And so... So we really dealing with sexism as the as the cause of the this reaction. Because once again, if your own people, your own sister or wife is not your equal, no one could be your equal. And so we in America we, we had the battle of sexism, and even women didn't get the right to vote in nineteen twenty. So and we still dealing with that. So it's almost like it's the it's uh it's the untold secret. Uh, it happens in churches. Uh, sexism starts first, then we deal with other things of racism. And so we have to really track this thing to its source and not keep trying to put a Band-Aid on it. I think we have a good discussion and we can move on. Uh, so, so we hit the right back where we started from. So people are listening. They're in parishes. How do you reach out? Uh, with this message uh, in terms of nonviolence works and the message you just articulated, how do we reach out to parishes and help them to understand that's part of the f- their formation as disciples of Jesus Christ to understand this? Well, as Larry mentioned earlier, the nonviolent Jesus is the core of the New Testament. And many Catholics as well as others, but we're only speaking to Catholics this morning, don't understand that. They don't understand that to be a good Catholic, in effect, in principle, means that we have to learn the nonviolent ways of Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of work to do just from that level. Do you hear it coming from the pulpit at all? Yes. Uh, we do hear, well, most fundamentally, we heard it coming from Rome several years oh, ago in 2017, mm-hmm. right, where the Pope articulated the, the, the message of nonviolence in his um, address for, for the year, you know, the year of peace. And, and he continues to remind us about that, and I know there is continuous work in the Vatican to address some of the many dimensions of embedded violence in our societies, including, for example, in the Church's position on just war. He is actually, the Pope is actually reconsidering that whether that doctrine uh, is consistent with the message of Jesus Christ. You know, the question I have is, uh, the, all three of you have been on the program many times and outstanding, and one thing we've never talked about, but it's now connecting now because you see it in the newspapers and here on the radio programs, 
is the whole thing of, you know, Colin Kaepernick back in, I think it was 2016 or 27, taking a knee, which really caused a great stir in the National Football League among fans, among coaches, among players. And, um, and so I read an article a few days ago that talked about when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, he did it in a very peaceful way and finding that people, some were listening and some were not listening. And all of a sudden it's now escalated to this violence like, like the volcano just erupted. So you know, maybe it's the topic of another program, but your thoughts on the Colin Kaepernick approach from three, four years ago to where we're at now? Well, actually, he was uh, totally vindicated uh, as a result of what happened in Minnesota um, because that was the point he was trying to make, and it was lost uh, in translation. And it was interesting, and he took a knee, and the author had a knee on this man's neck, uh, which was really another level of spiritual being symbolic and very specific. But, the, uh, but I'm glad that he got vindicated and he had to die for history that's right, right in the end And so things are speeding up from that standpoint. Uh, but once again, when we look at nonviolence, the, the history of nonviolence, the laws that govern nonviolence, and the science of it, of which that's why nonviolence works teaching. And if you went through the course of nonviolence, you would see all of the social contradictions that happen with the riots that we teach this in the class. Uh, let me give you an example. There's generally three types of people that show up to a uh, public dynamic. Uh, demonstrators, uh, protesters, and, and spectators. Okay? Now, the demonstrators are those who actually been trained to understand why we're here and to keep your discipline because you're trying to prove a social point. Pro- and, and so we are for something. We are for something. Protesters are always against something, and violence has a great chance of breaking out. Because when you're against something, you can have a negative disposition. We talked about demonstrators, protesters, and you were on spectators. Spectators. Yes. Right. Um, Those who just come to see what happens, and they go with whoever wins. So it's the whoever whoever wins the battle, that's who side they are. So they they don't have any skin in the game. And And how did they measure a win? uh, They don't. They just spectators. Uh, they just, whoever, whatever comes out, that they follow that line of thought, mm-hmm. period. Because uh, they don't see how to be social uh, changers. So they see who to follow. So non, um, nonviolence works. How does it fit into any of those three roles? I mean, are, are you educating people to the three roles? Do you educate them toward a particular position? No, we educate, uh, well, the, the role is turning people to demonstrators. How do you demonstrate correct character? Okay. How do you demonstrate the position you are discussing? How do you demonstrate uh, the, 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 the problem? You have to demonstrate it, because obviously people are, can't see and understand. So you really have to demonstrate uh, your own personal conviction and your own moral conviction. But what you have to do, and I share with Dr. Weedham all the time, is that it's more important that when, you, when you're doing a demonstration, because the premise is, I was minding my business, and a cop just started bothering me. Well, well, you have to prove that point. So you just walk down the street, sing Amazing Grace, and, 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 and if what your premise is correct, it will bother them, and they're going to be irritated. So you don't have to antagonize them because you didn't antagonize them when they, when they jumped on you in the first place. So you have to prove your premise. 
you know, I was, in, I was are so crazy that you could just be my, you could be doing the right thing, and it just drives them crazy. And maybe a question I would have for um, maybe at this point, Alfredi or Larry is, um, and you, you've all three been wonderful. Is when you have these initial protests that have started with the death of George Floyd and going to in different cities, many of them breaking out into uh, violence, and now also we've seen in Chicago and other places peaceful protests. I guess the question is. If, if it were happening again this weekend, as one person said to me, why does it have to keep going on weekday after weekday or weekend after weekend? As he said, I'm starting to get it. So I guess the question is, why, again, first weekend, second weekend, third weekend? Is this something we're, is this something we're going to see all summer? My point is, we've seen so many protests. Is there a need for more of them? I'm just raising the question that he was raising to me. Well, uh, uh, yes. To answer your question, uh, two days after uh, George Floyd died that way, the same thing happened in another city. He just didn't get highlighted because every week the police do the same thing over and over again. They, keep, they, don't, they haven't stopped doing it yet. And until they stop, so you have to keep it in front of everyone's mind that it's happening. Because for so many years, we were just a uh, police statistic, and it and it didn't have any effect on the rest of the world. It just had a, an effect on the black community. Now everyone sees it's a problem, and you got to keep that in front of them as long as they keep doing the same mistake. If I could jump in here, uh, I would add that the value of this public uh, activity of demonstrators and protesters is that it gives the spectators, which is the majority of Americans, of course a chance to look and evaluate what it is that they're seeing. Because it's been, as Philip was already saying, it's been so hidden. Uh, we've had problems before, and then after a few weeks, it all gets um, you know, um, spirited away under some label about investigation. Or uh, Now, people, and I would also um, suggest that more people who were spectators are becoming demonstrators because now they can see much more clearly the negative effects of, of police brutality and, and, and of, of non-peaceful ways of addressing whatever the social problem is about, you know, with, with individual people that, that police are supposed to be providing safety and security for, um, they, they, have a, they are able to see that this is affecting them in their area, too. It's, a, it's going on around them, too. And people are starting to step up, I think, in a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. For example, with the property damage, many communities have seen volunteers stepping mm -hmm. up to help. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and it, it doesn't take everybody. It just takes, as we often talk about, uh, three and a half to five percent of a group to turn the tide. And it can go in either direction. Our thanks to Philip, Elfridi, and Larry as they continue their important work. Today's final segment is about the importance of exercise. Guests Michelle Sotek and Father Lou Camelli join Father Greg and Mark to discuss how to add a spiritual twist to your exercise routine. Let's listen in.
How are you, Michelle? How are you, Lou? Oh, I'm just great. Thank you, Father Greg. It's always good to be with you. Oh, great to be with you. Even if I see you every day almost. <laughs> For breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner. Your and reward will be great. <laughs> Michelle, are you there? Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I have a great line here. This, and you all, people know that I one line. This guy says, uh, "I went for a run this morning, but I came back after two minutes because I forgot something. I forgot that I'm fat and can't run for more than two minutes." <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that, that, Amen. That summarizes our program. So mm-hmm. it. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, in the work that you do, Michelle. Beside the work that does my father, uh, Luke Camelli, with as formation mission uh, delegate for the Cardinal, is um, with Michelle, you being the Life Fitness Academy elite master trainer, what made you get into it? Is this going back to grammar school or high school? You started this up in college? So I've always really been into fitness from a really young age, and it's always been a passion of mine. So always been in sports and fitness, and so... I became a trainer about 10 years ago, a fitness trainer, and during that time, I think it was about eight years ago, I joined Life Fitness, which is the uh, world's largest fitness equipment manufacturer, and becoming a master trainer for that company, in addition to doing some fitness modeling for them and things like that, uh, and part of that role is to train other trainers and mentor new trainers across the U- U.S., and um, it's, been, it's been really rewarding. I, I absolutely love it. Now, how did, Father Lou, how did you guys connect in terms of, Michelle, what you do, and Father Lou, what you do? How do those messages connect? Yeah, well, we, um, we got to know each other, obviously, at the, at the cathedral. And um, I, I, uh, Michelle has been a wonderful reader uh, in ministries at the cathedral and participant in different things. And in any case, I, I got to know her there. And got to know her work and and shared my own interest in in uh, in fitness that, and that kind of goes back a, a long way. Um, I was a, a, a runner for many years. I've, I've kind of stepped back from that as I've gotten older, but still continue to, to exercise. In fact, you know, I, I I remember telling people that if every day, every day, if I don't pray and exercise. I'll go crazy. <laughs> really, I just need those are two things that are very, very important. Well, and it makes to, a difference uh, in your energy level. And I remember, yeah. you know, in December for your 50th, people couldn't believe you were celebrating your 50th anniversary. You know, 75 as a years priest. old. Yeah. You look about 50 well, years old. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was ordained at uh, four years old. <laughs> that, that's another story. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate. I've, God has been good. And, and that, that's another piece in this whole thing, too. I mean, I think God, God gives us our, our bodies uh, as a gift. And um, just as in everything else in life <clears throat> that we have, we're meant to exercise good stewardship uh, over the gifts that God gives us so that we take care of them and then use them for uh, his purposes. Yeah. So and it, it, it comes together in that way, I'd say. It's very interesting because a football coach said to me many years ago, he says, when you jog, jogging is for the mind, and the body is an after effect. And I thought to myself, yeah. what wow. a great line. Mm-hmm. But, jogging is for the mind, and the body is an after effect. So sure, it's for the body, but it also, when I used to be you know, a jogger when I was much younger, you go out in the woods and just kind of clears your mind. But now maybe, Michelle, for a moment, is how does faith and fitness 
connect in your life because you are a woman of deep faith. And as uh, Lou had mentioned, you're, uh, you proclaim the word of God at the cathedral, minister of communion, and very, very active. And so your faith is a big part of you. But in dealing with you and talking with you, even to be part of the program today, it's not just a matter of, oh, let's go exercise. But for you, spirituality is a very big part of who you are as you connect it with the world of exercise. Talk more about that. Yeah, sure. I believe that fitness and faith are very much interconnected in so many ways. And there's there's very basic ways in which you can compare the two worlds. So, you know, first of all, every time you spend time on your fitness and on your faith, it will never fail you. So basically, fitness and faith never fails you. You know, humans by nature are flawed and, you know, we're fallen. So, you know, we fail other people, people fail us, we fail ourselves. But if you spend time on your faith or fitness every day, it basically you can rely on that. Uh, you know, those are two things that, that you can, you will always have and will never um, fail you. And also, in addition to that, I feel that um, it helps you become a better person. And it's so basic, right? But if you spend time on your fitness, your workouts and you know, with your faith, whether that be like praying every day or reading scripture or going to mass or, you know, church service, meditation, whatever it is that's sort of like your spiritual poison, if you spend time doing that every day, it helps you become a better person and, you know, to show up for other people, for showing up for others and yourself in in life. But the problem is, is that it's not easy. No. And so principles of adult learning, we learn from one another. Michelle, what have you learned from Father Lou? And Father Lou, what have you learned from Michelle? I'd love wow. to go first. That's a good <laughs> question. Yeah, so Father Camelli is a person I really respect and admire. He's just uh, the qualities, you know, he's brilliant. He's written over 20 books and is just a phenomenal speaker and teacher and all that. And um, also very likable and personable. So that's a great well, combo. Well, and well, I, Father Lou, two out of three isn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, had the honor of working with him closely. And I, I trained Father Camelli. I mean, first of all, he's my spiritual coach, and I've learned a lot from him. But mm-hmm. I've also learned just by training him, um, physical training, is I've learned some of the functional exercises that priests can benefit from. Oh, great. And so, yeah, so like, for instance, the first time we did lunges, um, Father C was like, oh, this is great for genuflecting. And I'm like, I never thought of that, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, like a shoulder Should he it real time. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, it's pretty uh, funny. Yeah, and then also and like... Greg lunges toward the food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Michelle. Holy Communion, you know, is, is sort of like a, a front raise motion and fitness, you, you know, you have three muscle heads in, in your shoulder blade, wow. in your shoulder girdle. And so when, you know, Father Camelli mentioned that his, you know, shoulder starts to get a little fatigued when he's distributing communion at mass. I mean, I guess it depends on how large the congregation is, but it can be, what, at least five minutes mm-hmm. worth of, like, doing yeah. a, a forward motion with the arm. And so we work on things like that so that he could prevent injury and, you know, and to, Become stronger. And how about Louv with uh, with Michelle? Yeah, this is really uh, good. First of all, Michelle is is, is so kind. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm quite as good as she says I am, but I I try. Uh, in, in any case, uh, you know, it's so interesting uh, because I think when you you look at the whole fitness culture, 
it, it can be viewed as uh, kind of a narcissistic culture. I mean, people kind of just taking care of themselves and body image and, and all that. But when you listen to Michelle and, 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 and what she has to say is that this is all, it's not just for me. It's for a higher purpose, to be able to serve other people, to be a more apt instrument that God can use uh, for uh, God's own purposes. And, and that's just that's hugely important, because it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. This isn't just uh, focusing on me, but it's focusing on me so that I can, I can care for other people, love other people, be out there with them. So I, I, I mean, there, there are other learnings, too, but I, I'd say that, you know, and, and Michelle really embodies that, putting faith and, uh, I'd say, putting faith and service in the context of fitness. You know, it's interesting listening to the uh, both of you. I know that Michelle has said to me more than once, you know, you know, Father Greg, why don't you join us for the exercise? And my great line always is, Michelle, thank you, I don't have time. Oh. And, which I know a lot of people who are not exercising say they mean to, and I'm one of them, and I used to exercise more when I was younger, but, you know, especially like the last three months, but even before then, COVID-19 or no COVID-19, I'm always saying, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, and that becomes yesterday. So, Michelle, how do you respond to people like me who had the intention and used to work out somewhat when I was younger, and now very, very little, which I know on my part is wrong, and so how do you respond yeah, absolutely. So time is the biggest objection that I that I get from people that say, you know, they just don't have time to work out. So in your case, it's not really an excuse because I know how busy you are, Father Greg, but there's two big X's in the world of fitness. One is excuses and the other is extreme. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say, you know, just cut out the excuses. Um, you know, even if you are busy, you can spend 20 minutes a day uh, working on yourself, then you can still be productive. You know, you could still have like a podcast going while you're working out. Or, mm. But the main thing I would say is to find something that you enjoy. So, you know, you just said you grew up playing sports. So, you know, uh, maybe going out and playing, you know, and in, in, in doing like a sport they used to, to do as a child, like even just doing that is, is considered a workout. If you were to write a book, what, what would the chapters look like? Well, that's a, that's a really good question, Mark. I um, I think it would have to, first of all, the overall orientation would have to be, I think, uh, very practical. So not, not a lot of theory, but just trying to maybe uh, write from our, our experience. A reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. We have daily Masses and Sunday Masses in English, Spanish, and Polish. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for continuing to televise our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. 
And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.